the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and Rob Davis. We have an epic show for you guys today. Uh, feeling very naughties with the, the use of epic there. Um, but uh, we are going to be discussing the latest from uh, Jim Butcher, uh, as he's released some microfiction, uh, as well as um, a new expansion, uh, kind of expansion mini adventure for the Dresden Files RPG, which uh, you can play on a roll. Twenty. Uh, we will also be continuing with the Dresden Files book club, uh, where we will be covering chapters twenty to twenty-four of Fool Moon. Nope, twenty to twenty-three of Fool Moon. Apologies. Uh, as well as discussing uh, everything in those chapters uh, and talking about the prog- uh, progress that our podcast and some of our ideas around the podcast are making. So, uh, kicking straight off, uh, do you have something that you want to talk about for Power Networking this week, Rob? Or should we talk um, about what else you've been reading? I mean, I'm happy to talk about what else I'm reading. I was just going to say the only Dresden news I have is that I can't find my uh, Dresden RPG books. <laughs> but that's not really something to announce, I guess. It's just more of a frustration. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, it does suck. I, I've definitely been in the position quite recently where I know that I've got a book and I cannot find it normally because of all my other books. Yeah, that's the problem I'm having. It's like I know I, I have a feeling they're in like my wardrobe for some mad reason, but the amount of like books I'm already hiding in there is ridiculous. So yeah, I'm not really sure where else to look <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> So talking about our book collections, what have you been reading recently? Um, I just finished uh, Feet of Clay by Terry Pratchett, which I think is the third book in the City Watch series, sub-series. Okay, that's cool. How you find it? I'm loving it. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of those things where I, I think we were talking about it I can't remember if it's something we were talking about when we were having a general chat or if it's something we discussed last week. Um, it's something Kerry's pointed out, at least, which is that everything I read is really bleak and depressing. And that's not really what I need right now. So <laughs> I'm kind of using Terry uh, Pratchett and the Discworld series as that kind of, I guess, comfort blanket. I used to love it uh, in my early scenes growing up and stuff like that so it's, it's nice to go back to it and either remember storylines or forget it's it's quite nice when i f- realize that i don't remember a book at all so that's a plus yeah i i've definitely uh gone in a similar vein so like at the start of lockdown uh i i, I told you guys that uh i've been reading uh a lot of like the warhammer 40k stuff um that stuff is known as grimdark for yeah. a very good reason. Uh, and there, there is only so many times that you can build a connection with a group of characters and then have them all killed off in yeah. a single novel uh, before you're just like, I need to do something else. Um, so <laughs> um, 
a lot of what I've been reading recently, a lot of it has been comic book stuff. Uh, I'm still following the Dawn of X stuff. I got the most recent one this week. Yeah. Um, and really, really enjoyed that. Um, also, uh, I'm working on uh, another podcast project that you guys will hear more about in the coming weeks. But part of that has been reading some more classic comic books, uh, which I've really, really enjoyed. I've gone back into some like old Spider-Man comics, uh, going right back to the very first appearance, Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, and then the uh, the night Gwen Stacy died um, and the birth of Venom uh, and a couple of those great storylines. Um, and it's it's just kind of great to see like a different time, I guess. I think it's um, interesting seeing uh, Peter Parker in the Amazing Fantasy 15 because he's an asshole. And I think that's something... <laughs> I, that is, my, I mean, I, it's been five years since I read his first appearance anyway. But that is the one thing I remember thinking, is that you've got like people being like, oh, you know, like the, the current iteration of Spider-Man on screen is like the most comic accurate portrayal ever. And I mean, I disagree with that for one, but um, that's neither here or there. But I remember reading The Amazing Fantasy and being like, we, we haven't had <laughs> a Peter Parker who's, you know, unlikable like this. I mean, he's, and I guess it comes with the whole power fantasy idea, but it's like, oh, I don't know. I just, I just thought he was an arsehole. Definitely uh, Amazing Fantasy 15. Um, I don't know if it's because they wanted to give him room to grow or whatever, but the, the whole thing where he doesn't stop the mugger that then goes on to kill Uncle Ben. Yeah. Um, he doesn't stop the mugger because he basically says, at least in, in, a 60s version of I can't be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, to do that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a dickish thing, especially when you have spider powers. Yeah. And the um, guys walking right past you as well. You don't even need spider powers. Just stick your foot out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh so so that, that's now what i've been reading but we'll move on to the more dresden fast specific stuff that being said one thing i have noticed both in reading full moon and even the most recent dresden files book jim butcher loves some spider-man i'm pretty um, sure he's done like a spider-man one shot or something like that uh i'm sure he I just wrote a spider-man uh novel that was it darkest hour uh, he wrote a Sp- yes um which was really funny because way before I read Dresden Files, I read Darkest Hour because I'm a big comic book fan. Um, and I absolutely love the writing style. And I was like, I wish they did more more novelizations like this. Uh, and it follows up with uh, Morlun and like the bad guys of the, the Straczynski Spider-Man, the first volume, yeah. um, which is really cool. Um and, and and it is re- it's written just like a Dresden Files novel, uh, and I and I highly recommend if you enjoy the Dresden Files, go out find uh, a Darkest Hour by Jim Butcher. Um, I don't know how easy it is to get your hands on now, um, but it is absolutely superb, and it it reads like a Spider Man Dresden Files novel. Which I mean, why wouldn't you want to read that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's something I'll check out. I mean, that's also something I've noticed. I say I've noticed a lot more. It's I noticed um, Batman Court of Owls was released as a prose novel as well, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, two years at max. Yeah. But 
No, I, I, I found it interesting. I haven't checked it out at all, but I know I, I just thought it's interesting to get those characters in that medium. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so it's the darkest hours. Uh, uh, colon Spider Man uh, by Jim Butcher. Um, it's looking like it's about twenty two pounds now used. Um, and about £35 new. So uh, it's a little bit difficult to get your hands on. However, it does say that there is a, an audio book as well. Nice. Uh, which I would be interested to see who is reading that. Because if it's James Masters, then I will give at least a portion of my soul to that. <laughs> well said. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to have a look into that anyway uh, so uh, the other uh, stuff to talk about today uh, so there's a little bit of micro fiction on the Jim Butcher website it's um, it's a little uh, mouse comic book yeah um, I that. Oh, it's a yeah um, which is set uh, before uh, Peace Talks. That's not very spoilery. You could probably read it at any point. Um, if, you, if you enjoy like a good bit of cat and dog humour, um, it's kind of Dresden Files meets Garfield, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is written by uh, Jim himself, and uh, it's, it's very lighthearted. Um, might give you a bit of a chuckle one afternoon if you're feeling a bit down during all the lockdown and stuff. Uh, so definitely, definitely worthwhile. Um, I, it definitely made me laugh. Um, and I think, I'm not sure if we've seen much in the way of uh, depictions of Maggie, um, but we get a really good view of what Maggie looks like um, if you wanted that, um, which I definitely did. Um so uh, there's that as well. Uh, and then the kind of more interesting uh, section is uh, Roll20, which is uh, an online RPG platform where you can kind of play with people online remotely. Um, highly recommend uh, both me and Rob have been playing a game of Dungeons & Dragons via Roll20, and um, it's allowed us to, to keep that kind of board game feel where you can all move your pieces around and stuff um, without uh, all have to be in the same room, which obviously is difficult at the moment. Um, <laughs> so Dresden Files has released a new Dresden Files Accelerated campaign. Uh, so Dresden Files Accelerated is a version of the Dresden Files RPG that's a little bit stripped down so that you can get into it. Um, I think you can pretty much get, get going within about an hour. Uh, with it, um, it's it's really quick, really really clean rules, really easy. Um, so you can get to grips with that, uh, and then uh, this is called New Orleans will always have parish, uh, which uh, they describe as the Crescent City, the Big Easy, N O L A. The nicknames for New Orleans are many, and they are fondly spoken. The city is unique and beloved by its denizens, mortal and otherwise, and the supernatural reside there in greater numbers than expected for most metropolitan areas. 
Ghosts are plentiful, of course, but so are ghouls, vampires, demons, demigods, were creatures, and, most recently, the FOMOR. But they are not the only threat within Orleans Parish. Neither are they the gravest. Uh, and it's uh, essentially there's pre-made characters, uh, five pre-made characters, and you have to uncover a mystery in the heart of New Orleans. Um, it looks great. You get you get a hell of a lot with it. It's uh, $9.99, um, which for, for what you get uh, is very cool. You get 50 tokens for the GM to use, five ready-to-go players, 30 GM characters, uh, 11 handouts, uh, one quick start page with the basic... Uh, everything that, that the characters need to know, essentially. Uh, a set of rules uh, so that they've got a quick reference. Uh, I don't think this would replace having uh, the Dresden Files Accelerated or the Dresden Files RPG books. Um, but if you've got a copy of them and you're playing as the, the Game Master, you could probably get by then, given that these sets of rules to everyone else. Uh, and then there is also uh, a selection of backgrounds to use, uh, for different scenes and for like when you want to do fight scenes and stuff. So um, quite a lot of, of cool stuff to be playing around with there. Uh, and it integrates uh, with the Dresden Files Accelerated, uh, meaning that you can basically um, upload a Dresden Files character and join into the game with it. Uh, or you can uh, use one of the characters with the Dresden Files uh, rule set. So uh, everything you need will be on roll 20 to play um and we're thinking of giving it a go aren't we definitely i would love to i'm on a real gaming hype at the moment thanks to you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean we've we've been playing a lot of dungeons and dragons recently it's a, it's a great way to spend lockdown uh, you've a lot I but i see not enough got the uh, got the book um, you broke up a little bit for me there. I know you won't have for the listeners. Uh, do you want to just re- re- uh, repeat that? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you say a lot, but I say not enough. I definitely agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh, I, I think this might be a good way to, uh, to add in to... Uh, the Paranet, and see what you folks at home make of us playing an RPG uh, on the show. Uh, so this might be something that uh, we're still working out how it's going to work uh, and how we, we'd play it. But uh, if we decide to go with it, um, that's something to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. And if you would like to see it, please get in contact with us via Twitter uh, or email us uh, with uh what you'd like to see from us uh, doing an RPG. Uh, we're, we're quite hyped for it, so uh, I think we'd like to, to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, is there anything else uh, in paranetworking this week? I feel like it's a bit of a light paranetworking week. Yeah, I feel we're on a bit of a... the calm before the storm of Battleground being released. Um, it's probably worth mentioning, uh, specifically for UK folks um waterstones are currently listing a signed copy copies of um battleground on their website i imagine there's probably a similar thing in the states with barnes and noble um yeah i just thought that'd be worth mentioning for fans because 
I wasn't aware of this until I swung by there today and was talking to my friend who works there. Awesome, yeah. Uh, definitely worth getting your hands on, I would say. Depending on how much you like Dresden Files, I guess. <laughs> definitely, but I guess if you're if you're on if you listen to this podcast, you probably sold at least a little bit. I hope <laughs> yeah. on uh, the Dresden universe. <laughs> sure, I hope so. <laughs> um, just uh, also having a quick look at uh, what else Roll Twenty offers in the way of uh, Dresden stuff. Uh, there's a few other um, modules and stuff that you can find on there uh, and uh, a few more uh, Fate core system uh, games. So the Fate system is the system that they use for Dresden Files, but you can also apply it to so many different things. Uh, I mean, to give you an idea, they've done like a Cthulhu game with uh, with Fate. They've done a game where you play as street cats, like alley cats, um, in kind of the vein of like Cats the Musical. Uh, which actually does sound kind of cool. Um, <laughs> uh, and then they've done like a, a, a um, oh, Stranger Things kind of style game uh, and uh, even a superhero one called Tachyon Squadron, uh, which was kind of superhero sci-fi-y. Uh, so lots and lots of good stuff to kind of dive into if you're um, interested and want to support Dresden Files in a way that allows you to play a game with your friends which you know always a fun thing yeah um cool so uh heading over to our book club uh and oh my goodness do we have a lot to cover this week (laughs) (laughs) um so as usual i will do a summary of last time in the dresden files uh, and then rob will give us a uh, delicious overview of all things Dresden uh, in the upcoming chapters that we will be discussing in the last part of the show. Um, so, last time on the Dresden Files, uh, we had our first four-chapter episode, and it was really like a big action set piece in four parts, uh, is the best way I, I can describe it. Um, <laughs> so, we kicked off with uh, Harry reaching a uh, gas station and meeting up with Susan Rodriguez and Tara West, um, quickly nipping back to his place uh, and grabbing his staff and uh, his two potions, one being uh, a night's rest in a bottle and another being a potion that kind of makes him look boring and bland and unappealing so that people dismiss him out of hand. Harry then went to the police station, taking the potion that allowed him to blend in and disguise himself as a janitor, using his staff as a mop handle in a bucket. Uh, The potion works really, really well and allows him to slip past Murphy's office, um, as well as some of the FBI agents, um, who then leave before everything kicks off. Uh, He goes to uh, the jail cells as McFinn, changes and begins attacking the prisoners just to correct myself i realized the fbi weren't there it was carmichael that she was talking to in her office that time uh then uh, we get to to, uh chapter 18 where harry faces off uh with the loop guru himself mcfinn turned into this colossal 
wolf force of nature. Murphy rescues him, standing over his prone body uh, with uh, a, a uh, like competition shooting gun that shoots small caliber bullets that she has managed to make out of silver. Murphy has Harry taken away as she prepares the rest of Special Investigations for a battle with the Loot Guru. Uh, Harry meets Rudolph, a young cop just starting out on the force, and then he starts preparing a spell uh, to uh, basically uh, bind the Loot Guru as SI face off with the Loot Guru. Uh, Harry then uh, has some of the Knights rest uh, in a bottle potion, uh, and goes to uh, help SI, by which point most of them have already been uh, thrown aside, attacked, or killed by the Loot Guru. Uh, Murphy is almost killed, but Carmichael sacrifices himself to protect her. Uh, Harry then uh, basically lines up a massive spell and throws it at the face of this Loot Guru, uh, sending it careering through several walls of the prison, out across the yard, uh, the yard of the police station, uh, over a highway and into another building uh, where Harry feels like he's pretty confidently dealt with it. Uh, as he is congratulating himself, he hears the howling of the wolf and knows the battle is not yet over. However, the beast leaves blood, which Harry uses... Uh, in his binding spell that he was preparing in the previous chapter, to lock down the beast, confusing it until morning, which leads to him running out of energy. Susan and Tara West uh, help him out of the police station, and the group go on the run as Harry falls into unconsciousness. And that is where we pick up in chapter 20. And Rob, do you want to take us through that? Yeah. Uh, chapter 20 kicks off with uh, the most trippiest chapter of Dresden, I can recall to recent memory. Um, Harry wakes up in a space within his own subconscious and he's talking to his subconscious self, which is, I guess, I, I guess how he would be, how, how he wants to be, I suppose. Like he's all like dressed up nicely, is more, I know, clean cut, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they end up having a conversation within his own mind about you know the case and all that kind of stuff uh kind of following it from beginning to well i say beginning to end beginning to where we are at the moment um he comes to the conclusion that you know it's time that he lets murphy into his life instead of trying to protect her um and also does not trust mm -hmm. Tara west as much and start investigating the street wolves a bit more uh, the reason for not trusting Tara is kind of made I mean, it's kind of an obvious choice, really, in that she's she's been at major crime scenes. She's has an influence over a group of I don't know if they if if they were described as kids, mm -hmm. but young adults, I guess, whatever you want to call them. Um, so there's a lot going on with Tara West that is a bit vague at the moment, and I know you can still kind of pinpoint her down as a suspect. I'd say at this point. Um, yeah, uh, Harry kind of concludes that he's, he still hasn't closed the case. He hasn't found the, the person responsible for all these deaths uh, and needs to continue to investigate further and also accepting the help of his friends. The power is friendship. Whew. Chapter 21. Harry awakes 
you know, in, where where we left, left in actually in chap, end of chapter nineteen, he's awake in um, the car with Susan Tara West, uh, realizing that they're being followed. Um, <laughs> it's probably my favorite scene, and it's it's the one I've been waiting for since we started Full Moon. And it's also something that's on my to-do list, which is to barrel roll out of a speeding car. Um, and yeah, like Harry's already, you know, pretty beaten up at this point. So I guess it's kind of a mindset of, well, I've already taken a beating, may as well take some more. Um, Harry barrel rolls out of the car into, I guess it's a ditch, foresty, ditchy area, uh, with the idea of kind of holding up the people that are chasing them until the cops can arrive. Um, he downs the rest of his nights, you know, the sleepy potion thing, the one that gives him like a night's rest mm-hmm. in however many seconds. Um, he takes the rest of that potion, which kind of makes him feel pretty badass again, and he uses that to take down the cars that are following him, which turns out to be the street wolves. Um, so we run into those guys again, which the weird thing about that is I don't even remember this scene happening. Again, busting out my catchphrase here. I've only read the graphic novel, blah, blah, blah. But <clears throat> it's been a couple of years, but I don't remember this scene happening at all past the barrel roll. But um, the potion begins to wear off because he's just used a massive chunk of power to slow down these cars and to hold off the uh, street wolves as well. Um, he ends up getting into a bit of a confrontation with... Parker, who's the leader of the Street Wolves, and Black Nose, who's the one that he punched in the face earlier in the book. Um, yeah. There's also a second car involved, which has Roger, one of the FBI lackeys in it, who's watching from the car. Um, yeah, Harry, being pretty desperate at this point, also pops Parker in the leg with a gun. Um, in, cl- in case that's not very clear he shoots him in the leg. I've realised I worded that poorly. Um, and almost immediately Parker is healing from it. And like he goes down from being shot in the kneecap as well. And he, he's still just kind of talking casually to Dresden as if, you know, nothing happened. Um, they knock him out and they take him to one of the Street Wolves hideouts. Uh, he's, you know, the usual kind of thing. His legs and hands are bound, blanket over him. He's got an IV drip in his arm. Um, yeah, Harry, we, we learn a bit more about Harry's father, or we're reminded of Harry's father naming him, after all of these different, uh, musicians, magicians, um, and we get a bit more about Harry's dad, you know, he would always be doing, like, stage shows and stuff for kids, elderly folks, and all that kind of jazz, um, you know, obviously he was training Harry as a kind of stagehand slash assistant. Um, and yeah, he kind of remembers the skills that he learned while training with his dad and uses that to kind of get free of his bonds. Um, he, he overhears Parker and the flat nose street wolf, like over talking, talking about Dresden outside of the room. Uh, Dresden fakes being asleep and the, the wolves are arguing, you know, we, we've been told not to kill him yet. Marcone wants to talk to him first. And you know, we haven't had a bit of Marcone action for a good while, and it's already pretty chaotic, so let's throw some more into the mix. Um, yeah, Marcone has st- struck up a bit of a deal with the Street Wolves, which is 
Eh, uneasy because street wolves are pretty aggressive and they're a biker gang. Um, and it, call, it kind of begs the question of why Marcone also wants to talk to Harry. Um, but yeah, so the idea behind this is that the wolves aren't allowed to beat the absolute snot out of Harry any more than they already have done until Marcone has seen him. And with this, we roll into chapter 23, where Hendrix and Marcone finally arrive and stop Flatnose and Parker from beating the shit out of Dresden with a tire iron. Um, at this point, Harry reveals that he's been awake this entire time and has heard everything that's been going on. So they have that kind of complimentary banter, like, oh, you've been, a, you've been awake this whole time. That's uh, skillful and stuff. I have a job offer for you. And we go back to the whole job offer Marcone was trying to give to Harry earlier in the book. Um, I think it was like a security consultant role, if I remember right, where he picks his own hours, gets paid a hefty salary, etc. Yeah. Et um, and the thing I find interesting from this was I'm pretty sure Marcone said at the time it was a one-time deal. Like, he won't be making this offer again. But here we are. Um but in, do, in making this offer to Dresden, it's going against the deal he had with the Street Wolves. Uh, the deal, well, I say the deal, the, I think the arrangement there was that the Street Wolves hold on to Dresden, but they want him for themselves. Uh, and I guess that's to do with the whole territory thing from when he ran into the Street Wolves earlier in the book. Uh, Parker's got to prove himself as leader of the pack, etc., etc. Um lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, Parker states that he wants, you know, he has to kill Dresden to prove his, you know, leadership. Um, but if Harry agrees to take the job, then he's walking out of there with Marcone. Um, Harry, Harry says he'll sign, he'll sign up with Marcone anything to get away from these animals, which kickstarts, you know, a, a fight <laughs> between Parker and Flatnose and Marcone. Um, I say Marcone. Marcone and Hendrix. Uh, Dresden escapes, and as he's escaping, who should show up but our good friends in the FBI? Except, wait, they're not friends. Oh no. And they start to turn into <laughs> a powerful other werewolf faction we haven't seen yet, the Hexen Wolves. And then it's this massive free-for-all battle royale fight between all these different factions. Uh, the rest of the street wolves turn up. This whole fight's kicking off as Marcone and Hen Hendrix are like fighting the FBI wolves and the street wolves. It's it's pretty chaotic. And that is where we kind of wrap up that chapter uh, with another big action set piece kicking off. Yeah. So, uh, how'd you find it? I really enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, I, I forgot the Street Wolves came back into it, and I actually thought the people that were tailing Harry were the FBI. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad I was wrong because I know I keep having that feeling that everything we're about to experience is the end of the book because I'm just missing like a massive chunk of this yeah. from my memory.
I forgot how big this section was as well, the, the like three-way battle. Yeah. We got ourselves a Mexican standoff, kind of. Yeah. Wow. So uh, there is there is a lot that happens here. Um, and uh, so so I think first first we'll we'll deal with the 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 kind of um, chapter that's unlike the others, which is the, the the first one where Harry talks to his inner self. Mm. Um. This is something that I know does come up in later books a little bit, but um, I think this is by far one of the biggest scenes that we get with with this, yeah. where uh, sometimes when Harry is unconscious, um, he is able to go to like a, a temporary space within his mind and discuss things through with himself, mm. uh, with his subconscious mind. I'm not sure how I feel about this, uh, of all the things that Harry Dresden does. It's a weird one. I, I I both like it and dislike it, but I feel when it's handled in later books, it's handled a lot better. Whereas here, I had to pause it and go back yeah. a few chapters because I was like, did I, did I miss something? I, uh, I find it... I definitely remember the very first time I read this that it threw me, and it threw me again here. Yeah. There's, there's no explanation that this is like a, a magic thing in any mm. way. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it feels very much like it's a way of Harry like talking to himself, and I get why Jim Butcher has done it from a authorial standpoint, because you want you want Harry to work these things through, and you don't want it to always just be uh, I thought this, then I thought this, then I can yeah. consider this, uh, and playing it out as like a, an internal dialogue um, is much more compelling. I can understand that. At the same time, it it just feels jarring, I guess. Yeah, I can get that. It just feels very out of place, like especially after the like the scenes we just had of like the uh, battle at the police station. It is, it, yeah, it is a bit strange, uh, but I think it moves the plot forward very quickly. Like it's able to, Dresden's able to make a couple of jumps that um, I don't think there's really a place that Jim Butcher could have done it better. Yeah. At this point, um, so I definitely agree with that, um, and I think that he. Uh, I think it was it was a very smart move to do it like this. Agreed. Um, and like you say, I think he did get better with it in later books. There's not much more to say about this. Uh, I mean, Dresden's subconscious behaves in the way that you would imagine Dresden's subconscious to behave. It's it's very much the same character back at him with all the sass and stuff. It's quite funny to hear Dresden dealing with sass from someone instead of him giving it. Um which is, is quite fun. I think um, there's a line from his subconscious that I really liked. It, it was something like, um, oh, there you go, giving me sass again. But I guess that's why you're the one in control. Yeah. Something to that effect. Um, 
we get some really good moments, uh, like reference. We get the reference to Elaine again, yeah, because um, he's talking about kind of his gut feelings about different women in his lives, uh, Murphy, Susan, and then there's a bit of discussion about Elaine, which sets her up to be a a, a bigger character in Harry's past. Um, and right at the end of the discussion, before Harry wakes up, uh, his subconscious briefly mentions his mother. Yeah. But doesn't really say why he's mentioning his mother. Um, and again, I think that this is setting something, setting something up uh, around, around Harry's mom. Um, and I do wonder if this is whatever that innate magic that protected Harry in the first book from the, the compulsions of evil, whether it lies somewhere in his subconscious. Mm. Um, uh, which would be very interesting, um, or if it's the effect of the, the pentacle amulet, uh, it kind of uh, it comes across into his subconscious instead of into his waking mind. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, uh, fun stuff to dive into there, um, but I don't think there's much more to really say about it. Um, it's just a, it's uh, it's a bit of a change of pace, I guess, a shifting gears and. You might find that jarring, or you might enjoy that. So, moving uh, on, uh, Harry's fight with the street wolves, uh, where he drinks the potion. What did you think about uh, the effect the potion had on him? I liked that entire scene. I feel I really didn't give it justice in the summary there, but I like, I especially like once he's caused like the. Uh, car to crash and everything all of the uh walls that are in the car like are just getting out they've got like dislocated arms broken like limbs and shit like that uh, and they're all just kind of like healing as they're getting out and i like the description of it it just sounds yeah. really cool like that it's like he, he used this potion to kind of get some energy back and do like stir up a ruckus and it barely inconvenienced them I got a very. I could visualize this scene very well. Yeah. Um. Like happening, it, it happens like on a, like a an on ramp, like uh, on the grassy verge of like an on ramp to the highway, which is very easy to picture. Mm. Uh, and it just very. It um. I, I could just imagine like a bunch of kind of uh, like. Thugs, I guess, uh, facing off with this wizard on the on the edge of the highway, and and he goes. I, I love the power shift in this chapter, where he yeah. goes from being super confident, super powerful, just throwing magic about like uh, the wizard that he is, to oh my god, I am completely powerless, and it literally gets to the point where he's like, I can't even move. There's so many uh, of these thugs on me. <laughs> Um, I'm pinned to the ground uh, and just have to take the pain, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's great. Um, I I enjoyed Parker in this scene as well. Yeah, we get a bit. I I think that's something I just liked about the Street Wolves anyway. When we had the encounter with them earlier in the book, they I feel they didn't come across as threatening as they should have. Mm. Like I think, I uh, know because because it was setting up, I guess the whole thing about uh, 
Parker being too old to lead and all that kind of thing, and showing the doubt within that group. I feel it kind of missed the opportunity to show them being as much of a threat as they are here. Definitely. Like, especially going from uh, the Loop Guru in the previous chapter to going into the Street Walls being more more controlled, I guess. Like, the Loop Guru is more of a force of nature, while this is quite the opposite, I suppose. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for... It's the difference between fighting a kind of like a mindless beast and fighting a human. Yeah. I guess. Um, really, really shows here. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think it is, it's a really good scene. And there, there's this great moment where Harry sees the FBI agent, uh, in like an unmarked car, um, and is like, oh shit, I get it. And like the penny drops and it, and once you know the whole deal about the FBI and everything, um, it's it's so obvious, I guess, how it all fits together. That's why, uh, and it's great to see Harry reaching that point as well. That's what I like about the earlier books is um, you you'll have this kind of murder mystery thing going on, and it's not until the character realizes it that you're like, holy, holy shit, I I could have figured this out myself. Because there are moments where you suspect something's not quite up with these guys, and then when it finally is revealed, you're like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um and and yeah, I I I really it's it's just a great scene and Jim Butcher writes action scenes very well. Um I I also love Harry's singing like opera music as he's fighting because he's yeah. feeling so like pumped and charged. <laughs> Um, which is very cool. In my head, it was Duel of Fates from Star Wars that he was singing. I know it's the overture from something, uh, but I was just like, I can just imagine as this car streamed towards me, just like, and like throws a lightning (laughs) bolt. Because that's the sort of thing that I would do. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, give yourself a soundtrack um, always fun uh, so yeah that that was pretty cool um, the next scene uh, there isn't terribly much to, to say really um, I think we know that Harry is quite good um, it's, it's nice to see Harry using the talents from his father and it's also we know that Harry's quite good at manipulating people um, he's also very good at getting manipulated but uh, especially once he soul gazes with someone and understands their motivations, he can use that very well against people. Um, and we really do see this here with Harry uh, playing up the idea that Parker is weak and uh, that his uh, pack are going to turn on him and, and the way that he, he winds him up. Unfortunately, it kind of almost works too well as Parker goes into this kind of berserker rage and doesn't make a mistake, just goes full out, I'm going to kill you with uh, with Dresden. Mm. Um, but then we get to chapter 23 and it is great to see Marcone and Hendrix uh, here again and I think just the way that um, 
something that I find incredible about the way that Marconi is written is he has gravitas and he holds the scene uh, yeah. like he has power. Um, and, I, and I don't really know. And I've tried to kind of dig into the text to work out where this this comes from. But I don't really know how Jim Butcher manages it. But every scene that Marcone comes into, he's just got this weight to him. Yeah, I know what you mean. Something I really liked with Marcone in this chapter as well is how a lot of the kind of information we know about him, like, oh, he, he's, you know, this hardened criminal badass and stuff. We only really know from what we're told in the first book and even from, like, Harry's soul gaze to a point. But I think this is the first time that we see him interact with the supernatural world. Like, you've got the uh, street wolves that want to kill Dresden and they're like, oh, you, you can't change the deal. Like, well, you didn't say anything about leaving with him. He's we're, we're keeping him, and I, Mark Holmes' response is just totally cool and collected. And he, I can just imagine him like John Hamm kind of style in Mad Men, just like kind of straightening his like blazer jacket and just being like, "I take whatever I want, and there's nothing you yeah. can do about it." And it is, it's just that that whole kind of he's telling them that. It's not on the table to negotiate. He is leaving with Dresden if Dresden says, you know, agrees to his conditions. Exactly. And I, and I also think, uh, again, uh, Hendrix is... Um, uh, Hendrix is, is maybe Marcone's best asset in a lot of ways. Because uh, even when the three-way fight breaks out... Um, Hendrix doesn't even hesitate to just start fighting and protecting Marcone. Uh, and you also see here, it talks a little bit about how Marcone handles himself in a fight and how he can actually be very quick uh, hmm. and quite devastating himself. I think within the same kind of scene, uh, one of the wolves throws a tire iron. I can't remember if he throws it at Hendrix or Marcone. But they just dodge it without even thinking. And I think it's described as being like, you know, faster than, you know, with the reflexes of, uh, you know, more speed than I've seen in any other human. And I, I just kind of yes. imagined it like, just kind of like, and it's, it's like they saw it coming before it was even thrown at them. And I really liked how it was described. Yeah, you definitely get the feeling that uh, Marco and Hendrix are used to this sort of situation. Hmm. Um, and uh, I also even now we're already seeing Marcone begin to take precautions when dealing with the supernatural world um, like he gives Hendrix the uh, a shotgun that has particularly powerful ammunition that he believes will definitely injure the street wolves even yeah. though they've got a higher constitution than normal humans Mm. Um, and it's those sorts of decisions as well that really make me go, ah, he is, he he plays the game very very well. He's basically pointed out uh, Hendrix's shotgun or whatever weapon it is, and like this ain't your daddy's shotgun, boy. This is, you know, yeah. <laughs> this will tear through wolves like butter. <laughs> um. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so the next 
thing that we really wanted to talk about was the the FBI or werewolves. Um, and I guess it may, I mean, we we had four different types of werewolves identified by Bob, and we have four different types of werewolves in the plot. Uh, yeah. In fact, if you include Terror West, we kind of have five different types of werewolves. Um, uh, so, what do you think about the FBI werewolves? Um, I plot twist. It's it's kind of something that we briefly touched upon a couple of minutes ago. I feel where, g- given how they react and just their interaction with the FBI when we first see them in like chapter two or whatever it is where you know one of them just you know gets bad mouthed and just instantly just pulls out a gun to try and shoot murphy i think from there you're kind of like there's there's something more to them than you know there is like there's there's just something about them in every scene they're in they're always a bit slimy i guess like you know they're Mm -hmm. up to no good i guess but um no, I I like I think it works, and I think, and I, I was think I'm I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here, and I was thinking the, about the whole um actually no I'll, I'll save that point for later I feel just in case it comes up in like the following chapter or something. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> you can remind me of it next week. Um. Uh, in which case, I'll uh, I'll jump in. Um, I the where the FBI as werewolves. Um, I I really enjoy um, because it's uh, like the the difference between the way that the street wolves operate. You have access to this werewolf sort of power, um, but kind of have let it consume them. The FBI have also, to a degree, let it consume them because we are shown that kind of all humans are susceptible to the lure of this power. Mm. However, uh, with Agent Denton particularly, there is uh, a focus to it, and you really get a feeling that like the wolves are being used tactically. They're using pack tactics to kind of uh, surround the building. Uh, Denton keeps himself uh, in human form. Uh, and tells the wolf some to go into werewolf form, some to go into human form, so that some of them can use guns while others use uh, their werewolf like close combat abilities. Um, and it again, it's it's that step up. So we've kind of gone from the beast-like fighting of the loop guru to the human but kind of disorganized fighting of the street wolves to very organized uh, combat-trained people who also have this magical power. And it feels like a different level of fight. Um, And I really feel like even with, I think he only really has four uh, agents, uh, including himself, that can turn into these Hexen Wolves. Um, I feel like even with there only being four of them and there being, it never specifically says, but we'll say around 20 Street Wolves, the four Hexen Wolves are much more at an advantage because they are much more tactically trained. And they aren't just berserkers, mm. um, and you really just see that from the get-go uh, with their appearance here. That they 
are able to transform quickly and and attack and attacking in such a, a, a fast manner. Um, it's it's pretty pretty impressive and makes them very intimidating as, as enemies. Um, and then the, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the the start of the three way fight scene, and we really only get the first. Uh, Kind of hints at it, um, and it's explored later in the, in the next chapter. And we'll, we'll come back to it then. Uh, but is this one of the great Dresden Files fight scenes? Do you think, uh, as these all these different factions are, are playing off? Uh, and in fact, actually, in the next chapter, we uh, we find that there there is even more factions in this battle than we knew, um, all fighting over Harry Dresden. Yeah, I mean, my my favourite kind of fight scenes within the series is usually other factions and other people fighting, and Harry just happens to be there. Like he's not completely engaged in the fight as such. He's just trying to <laughs> just trying to get on with things, and this is all just happening around him. And I I feel that's why I really yeah. love this fight scene. I can definitely get behind that. Um, I. I think kind of because of the way that Dresden works and the way that his magic works, you never really, apart from in the Red Court stuff where he's working with other wizards so they can kind of all use their abilities to complement each other. Generally speaking, Harry is unlikely to be like a warrior or a fighter in the middle of the war. He's more likely to be doing something in the periphery that will circumvent the entire war or solve the entire war itself uh playing into his skill sets as a detective and a a problem solver um and i think this is this is a really good show of that and probably the first time we've really been able to see that um he could probably take one of these factions on at a time but there comes a point where i really feel like harry's kind of there's no point him getting involved because if he's fighting one faction and putting all his power at that then another one can just take him from behind uh, and, yeah. and we kind of get to see that um, especially with him being essentially out of magic at this point yeah. um, which is a really good situation I guess uh, to see Dresden in is uh, I mean he, he literally says that apart from the tire iron or the wrench that he's got he is completely defenseless at this point. Yeah. Um, and watching him have to like confidence gain the other werewolves and, and the other factions into believing that he could do a lot worse without being able to back it, those claims up uh, is very interesting. And Marcone picks up on it almost immediately. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think there's much more to really say uh on this unless there's anything else you wanted to pull out rob not particularly i mean we're in the uh butcher launch at this point where everything's just going crazy and it'll it'll remain this way until probably the final chapter definitely and i love it same it's reminded me of like why i love the series so much i mean i know i should probably be like Peace Talks reminded me of why I love this series so much, and it did. But the like re- reading Stormfront and this, the like the really early stuff, has kind of I know it pro- probably ignited that love even more so. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, 
I think uh, I would say to anyone that's that's read the Dresden Files, a reread gives you so much. I, I'm finding, I'm learning, being reminded of stuff, relearning stuff, um, and also picking up on details that a first read through you'll just never pick up on. Mm. Um, and there's so much of the character that we know now uh, as Jim has kind of honed it and brought those aspects right out to the forefront that you can still see back there and there's so much progression you don't realise until going back how far Harry has come as a character Um, and it's kind of great seeing him going through that journey yeah so um yeah, I think that that's pretty much our, all our thoughts. Yeah, for this I guess week. So, um, <laughs> do you want to do you want to take us out, Rob? Yeah. Um. Thank you very much for listening. As always, uh, be sure to review us on iTunes, download us on Spotify, uh, share us with your friends, share us with your parents, grandparents, anyone you know who's a Dresden fan. Let's uh, share the love. Um, and thank you all for the support so far. We've, I mean, I know we say, I feel like we say it every week now, but the fact that we're constantly getting downloads and like listens and stuff, I mean, it's, it's more support than we expected. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and we're, we're chuffed. It's great. And just a massive thank you to everyone that's listened so far. Um, next week, we'll be covering. Uh, Full Moon chapters 24, 25, 26, and 27. Um, Yeah. Crack open a can of Coke. You've been listening to the Paranet podcast, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to myself, Rob Davis, and Patrick Lern. Yeah. Thank you very much, and uh, stay safe and all the rest. Enjoy the weather. Bye-bye. Bye.